0: Seated. Take your Bibles, please. Open them up with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one home with you after the service. Matthew, chapter 10. We continue Today. Studying through this, this chapter at chapter 10 as we spoke last week, this is, a, this is an instruction uh, filled chapter that, that Jesus is giving very specific instructions to his 12 disciples as he sends them out now on a very specific uh, missionary journey. We talked last time as as we were preparing for this and and coming into the beginning of chapter 10, it told us that Jesus selected his 12 disciples. And, and, And it comes on the heels of something that is important that we continue to look back to as we study through this today. Look back with me in chapter 9, verse 36. It says, seeing the people, he, Jesus, felt compassion for them because they were distressed, and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looked over the, the multitudes of people that were gathering around him. And that, that word as we spoke last week, that, that he had compassion. Literally from the depths within him, he felt just broken for them. Not some shallow emotion, but deep, deep concern and compassion. And it wasn't for their physical sufferings. It, he uses The terms that are used here, this, this distressed and dispirited, we spoke of that, that hopelessness that is deep within everyone who does not have a relationship with God, who has had that relationship broken by sin in their life, and the realization that, that they are absolutely hopeless in their efforts to try to reconcile that relationship. Jesus sees that in them, and he has compassion for them. And it says in verse 37, then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There are many in this situation, many that are lost, many that are dying and going to hell because of sin in their life and they have no hope. And, they, and he said, at this particular time, there are many that are around and the workers are few that will actually be willing to go out into that harvest field. And the same is true Today. We don't have to look far and wide to find a harvest field. There are many, many, many around us. Even from where, where we all sit together here, within a, probably a mile radius, I would guess thousands of people that are lost and going to hell without the good news of Jesus Christ. But the same is also true that the workers are few. The same, same problems exist today. And Jesus said, therefore, verse 38, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. We spoke of that, that, that Jesus beckons them and he beckons us to pray. Pray that God would raise up workers to go out into this harvest field. And as we do, And as we see here, as we transition into chapter 10, if we are sincere about that, if we are sincere in our hearts, seeking the Lord, praying that he would raise them up, the first ones that he is going to impress upon our hearts that will be raised up is us. (laughs) He's going to use us in that work. He calls the 12, and as we will see now, he commissions them specifically for a specific work that he is going to do. And we're going to read... Chapter 5 through, or verse 5 through 15 together, and then come back and look at it in a little more detail. Verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any of the city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff For the worker is worthy of his support. In whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If, you ent- if the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace, but if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you, nor heed your words, as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the, for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. The first thing we need to realize as we look at this section together is this was a specific assignment for these specific men at that specific time. Jesus is speaking to his 12 disciples and he is sending them out on a a specific missionary, short-term missionary excursion. We see, we're looking at the other gospel accounts, he sends them out in pairs and they come back and when they come back together, we don't know how long they were gone, but not an extended time, but when they did come back, they came back and they were talking to Jesus and sharing about all of the things that, that God had done. Again, specific to them at that time and in that particularly we see that it it was just for them it says he says don't go the way of the gentiles or the samaritans but rather to the lost sheep of israel we see there that he gives them commands as to where they are to go and where they are not to go but that is not something that we should then take because we know our command and is very different from that We see in these verses that not only where they are to go and not to go, but he tells them what they're to do, what they're to bring, what they're not to bring, what they are to expect. And as we look through this, I'll point out again the specific things for them, but our focus needs to be, all right, well, what about us? What does that mean for us? And we look at this very specific where they're to go and where they are not to go. We know that as Christians, as we go out and we are led by the Holy Spirit, The Holy Spirit will prompt us where to go and prevent us from going where we should not. We see that in the book of Acts. A couple of different occasions, Paul desired greatly to go to a certain region, but he said the Holy Spirit prevented them from going. God will give us specific direction as we step out in faith to follow the directive that he has given to us. Now we... Are, are, are governed as the body of Christ by the great commission that Jesus gives to his disciples, these same men, at the end of the book of Matthew, as he is getting ready to ascend to heaven. It says in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, "...and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations." Not just the lost tribe of Israel, all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." He tells us where we are to go. We are to take the gospel to all of the nations. That is our our commission as a church as a whole. But individually, specifically, God will guide us and direct us by his Holy Spirit as to where we are to go specifically on any given time. He will prevent us from going even sometimes places that we would desire to go. We need to be sensitive to his guiding and leading and directing. But not only where they're to go and not to go, notice verse 7 and 8, what they are to do. As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. We see firstly what they are to do. They are to proclaim the message. That word that is used there, the Greek word for for preach, is the Greek word keruso, which means to proclaim, to announce, but most specifically, to herald a message. Now, we we don't use that word much anymore. As a matter of fact, we probably all in this room only use that word once a year when we sing the Christmas carol, you know, hark the herald angels sing. And that is not the name of one of the angels, just in case you were wondering that describes the angels they are herald angels what does that mean they are proclaiming a specific message from the king that message hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king that is the message that they were given to sing that is the message they were given to proclaim so we are too as they are herald the message proclaim the message proclaim the message again that is not just our message not anybody's message but a specific message from someone else a kingdom message as we see the kingdom of heaven is at hand a message directly from the king about the kingdom tells us here that he said that, that, that they were to preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand very the same message that Jesus brought when we looked in Matthew chapter 4 where he said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand the kingdom Message from the kingdom. The message that is given represents the kingdom. It is from the king. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors. We are sent from God sent by Christ with the message of Christ as heralds. We are not allowed to alter the message one bit. When we bring the message, we need to bring the whole message and nothing but the message. And the message is this, that the world is hopelessly lost and separated from a holy God because of sin. Everyone. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every living human being has committed cosmic treason against a holy God, and the punishment for that is death, eternal death, separation from the love of God, facing the wrath of God forever in hell. But God, being rich in mercy, while we were yet sinners, sent his Son... God himself, the king, stepped off his throne, lived, became one of us, and lived a perfect, sinless life. And then he took that perfect life and suffered and died on the cross, shedding his blood for us, paying the full, entire penalty for our sin. Then, on the third day, after he died, rose again. Our God is alive, and our sins are forgiven eternally, forever, because he took our place. It involves repentance. We must turn from our sin and turn to God. It involves receiving the free gift of salvation. It involves reconciliation. That's, that, 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 that unity with, with God has been broken, fractured because of sin. And that, is, that involves then reconciliation through repentance. It involves redemption. Jesus paid the full penalty for us, redeeming us with his own blood. But it also involves relinquishing. As we spoke earlier, surrender, surrendering our lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That is the message we are to herald. The whole truth Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we herald any other message, we are no longer heralding. We are proclaiming a false statement. If we change that at all, we are no longer heralds. We are ear ticklers. When we water down the message to make it more acceptable, socially acceptable, we are no longer proclaiming the message of the kingdom. We are proclaiming our message then. The work was done by him alone on the cross, but the witness is ours to take out. Proclaim the message. That's the first part in verse 7, what they are to do, what we are to do. Verse 8 says not only to proclaim the message, but they are to perform their ministry, their specific ministry. That is an action, and we see action words in verse 8. They are to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out the demons. That word minister is one that is, it is not a, it's not a noun. It's not who somebody is. It is what somebody does. It is a verb. It is an action to minister to the needs of others. It says in verse 1 of chapter 10, That Jesus summoned the twelve and gave them the authority. We talked about that last week. The power and authority over unclean spirits to cast them out to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. He gave them this power and authority. This was specific, again, to them at this time for their specific mission. We see throughout the New Testament the power that they had. These men, and later Paul, was specific to them as apostles gave them apostolic credentials, if you would, for them to perform their specific ministry. It's important that we realize a couple of things, though, because we all have been given gifts for our specific ministry. And we can see that these things in in them that we need to understand as we look at verse 10, again, or verse 1, that Jesus gave them the power and authority. This was not something they had before. This is something that is supernaturally given to them. When it comes to spiritual gifts, this is something that we did not have before. It has been given to us now, again, for a specific ministry. There are things that we are, that it, before coming to Christ may be abilities and talents that we used to use for our own personal gain or for the world that God can use, absolutely, in, in going forward, but that's not a spiritual gift. That is, that's a talent that, that is used. That's not what's being referred to here. This is something supernatural, divine giftedness. Notice also they're to use it to bless others. It's not for personal gain. It's not for, you know, he gave them this ministry to go out, and, or this power to go out and do this to others, to heal others. Not, I give you this power so if you break your arm, all you have to do is touch yourself and you're healed. It's not for your own personal gain. It's to bless others. Now again, unique, specific for them then. But we all have been given unique, specific gifts for us now. We see examples of this throughout the New Testament. We have some lists of spiritual gifts and giftings. For instance, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Supernatural giftings that have been given to someone and and, and, and for the work of the ministry, for equipping others for the work of the ministry. I know personally that, that God has given me a gift, and that is what it is. It is a gift as, as is outlined here, the, the, as pastor teacher, I'm not up here doing what I do now because I have this talent. This is a gift. And those of you, any of you in this room that have known me for the last eight years or more know that to be true. <laughs> that that about, It was about eight years ago when I was first asked to read the bulletin. Before service started, and I was up front, and I was just, I couldn't take my eyes off the paper because I was scared to death to look up if anybody was looking at me. And I finally did break away from the paper, and one of my friends in the back is going, <laughs> scared to death. I, I, I doubt anybody got anything out of what, was being, what I was doing up there then. People people have have come up to me and said, thank you for remaining true to teaching God's word. I'll tell you right now, that's all God, because fact of the matter is, I got nothing else. I'm not smart enough to be up here to tell you anything other than what God's word says. I I gotta stick to this, because I don't have anything else. So don't thank me for that. It's a gift of God. And he's given gifts to all of us. Turn with you to Romans chapter 12. And we don't have time to spend a lot of time at looking at the individual gifts, but I want to point these, these out to you in some of these places where they are. And we're planning on very sor- shortly soon having a spiritual gifts class where you can, you can go and be a part of that and kind of discover some things if you, if you don't know the giftedness that you, that you have. And, and then maybe you do know, but how do I use that? And, and so we'll be having some of that coming up. But Romans chapter 12... Paul writes to the church in Rome, and he says, verse 3, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. And that's important when we do discover our spiritual gifts. Again, they are gifts. No credit goes to the one who receives a gift, ever, right? I mean, you get a birthday gift. What did you do to deserve that? You were born. You had nothing to do with that, (laughs) right? I mean, gifts are given, if, if, if it was something you earned, it would, be, it would be payment. But these are gifts. So he's saying, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think because of a gift that you have. If you have the gift of prophecy, don't think that you're more highly of yourself because you have that gift. God used a donkey in the Old Testament to speak a word of prophecy. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Verse 4, for just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Verse 6, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to each, let us exercise them accordingly. And then he goes on to list several different gifts here. If prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, even here is a gift, we are all called to give to the ministry, but some, God lays on this as a gift, supernaturally, to give far and above what would make sense to anyone else. That's a gift. Giving, leading, administration, mercy, these things that are listed here. And the Bible does not give us an exhaustive list, by the way, of, of ministry, of spiritual gifts. It's not an exhausted list. But we all have at least one spiritual gift that is given. We need to know what it is, and we need to be using it. It's interesting, as we look through this, you know, as I said, he's given some to be evangelists, as we saw in Ephesians. Some have been given a gift of evangelism. Some have been given a gift of faith, as we see here. It's interesting, we're all called to do the work of evangelists, the Bible tells us, but some have been given a special gift of evangelism. We have all, as we just saw here, have been given and allotted a measure of faith, but some are given the the spiritual gift of faith. You've been around people like that, that it doesn't matter what they come up against, they just just have this amazing trust in God through all things, that, that gift of faith. We're all called to be merciful. We're all called to be hospitable. If you remember our, when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount? Those are all characteristics that we are supposed to have, and when we, when we express those, we are blessed. But it here lays out that there is a supernatural gift that is given to some to be, to be merciful, to be, to be hospitable. Another list is given to us. If you turn a few pages over to First Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, it says, before he gets into a list of some other, some other gifts, he says, now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord, there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. There are a variety of gifts. There are a variety of ways to administer those gifts. And there is a variety of energy or power. That word that is there for effects in the New American Standard is the word they, where we get the English word energy from, the Greek word. There's a variety of energy behind gifts. It's not all the same across the board. Again, we can look at at one of the gifts, evangelism. We're all called to be evangelists, but some have been given the gift of evangelism. Now, there are different ways, a variety of ways, in which to administer that gift. It's not just the same across the board. Some people, you maybe have met them. Perhaps you are one. You can sit down next to anyone, anywhere, and you can immediately find a connection and start sharing the gospel with them. That is a gift. That's not something you hone. That is a gift. Now, there are others. That's one-on-one evangelism, a gift to do that. There are others, Billy Graham, Greg Laurie, who can stand in front of tens of thousands in an arena and give an evangelistic message that, that lands in so many different hearts. That is a gift. That's not a talent. That is a gift. And there's different power behind those gifts and we don't control that the holy spirit does when we look at the especially again here the gift of evangelism so often we could say well i've shared my faith with with 20 people and and nobody's i've never prayed with anybody to accept the lord but i keep sharing you just keep doing that because the holy spirit's job is to take that and, and answer that i was listening one time Pastor Jack Hibbs, who's a Calvary Chapel pastor in California, we were at a pastor's conference, we had a little breakout session afterwards, and, and we were talking about putting a, putting a sermon message together, and at the end we had a little question and answer, and it, and it started getting to an altar call, and, and how we go about doing that and putting a message together around that, and he said, quite honestly, again, he started talking about the energy of that, this, this last piece about sometimes how he says, you know, I can, I can have this, this text and it's just screaming an evangelistic message and God so lays it on my heart and puts this all out and pray and all week and everything and then, and then deliver this message and one or two people maybe will respond. He says, and then Raul Reese can stand up and read a Chinese menu and a hundred people get saved. <laughs> <laughs> now obviously he is, he's, he's having fun with that. But the truth of the matter is, again, it is, there, there is different energy. And when we look at this, look down at verse 11 in chapter 12 here. Distributing each one individually just as he wills. The Holy Spirit works out all of these things. He is the one who, who distributes the gifts and the, the, the administration of the gifts and the power behind the gifts. He lists certain things here again in verse 7 these are the manifestation of the spirit for the common good and none of it again is for our own benefit is for the benefit of others word of wisdom word of knowledge faith there it is there faith gifts of healing affecting of miracles distribute uh, distinguishing of spirits speaking in tongues the interpretation of tongues when we look at this particular list that is here these these few verses contain what has caused a great division in the church a great division in the body of Christ and primarily it is because of the abuse one way or the other with it some put way too much emphasis on the gifts that are listed here Others are scared to death of the, of the gifts that are listed here and run as far and as fast away from them as they can. It has caused great division within the church. It's not the Holy Spirit's heart to have division in the body of Christ, it's to have unity in the body of Christ. A proper understanding of these gifts is so important. Again, we will be having more information available on that in a class that is coming up, but... Bottom line, as we look through past this again in, in chapter 12, going through here, Paul's main point with that, he, and he doesn't go into great detail on the gifts even in the, in the chapter here as he's writing to them. He says, the point of the matter is, as you have a gift, you are to function in that gift for the, bo- for the benefit of the body of Christ and for the ministry abroad. It is not for you. And he talks about the fact that we're not to covet one another's gifts. We are to work within the gift that God has given us. And he, he compares it to the physical body, that we all can't be hands or feet or, or anything. We all have to function within the, the gifts that God has given us for the personal individual ministry that he has placed on us so that as a body we function properly and we are most effective reaching the world around us. At the end of this, it's important to see This whole chapter 12, talking about the use of spiritual gifts, look how the chapter ends, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And then we get into chapter 13, which is all about love. He goes on to say, it doesn't matter what gift you have. If you don't have love, it's worthless. It's all about love. And as we look at that in its totality, the gifts that have been given to us, The spiritual gifts, but the greatest gift of eternal life and the love that has been poured out upon us. Freely we have received it, Jesus said. Now freely give it. Give it. Use it. He said that, again, we talked of this last week. He said greater things, the things that you've seen me do, greater things will you be able to do. Not in quality, but in quantity. The things you've seen me do, the, power, the powerful, miraculous things, Jesus then gives them the power to then go out and do those same things. And as we see again, as the body of Christ, those gifts that we have been given, we use those, we are the very hands and feet and voice of Jesus. What a privilege. What an honor to use the gifts that he has given us to proclaim him, to be his very hands and feet. To love with his love. Well, verse 9, back in Matthew here. Verse 9 through 15, we've read it before. It, he talks there not to acquire gold and silver and, and different things there. It's you know, what they are to bring and what they are not to bring. The, the, the point that he is making with them is don't overplan your trip. As a matter of fact, go with what you have and trust God for every step of the journey. And the same message comes to us in the the mission that he sends us out on individually. We are to go with what we have. Bring God what we have. The gifts that he has given to us, the word of God, and step out in faith and trust him. Training and, and growth, like I said, the spiritual gifts class evangelism training, all of those things are, are good things. But too often they can become an excuse. Some of you might already be thinking, well, as soon as I can take that class, then I'll figure out what my gift is and, and, and then I'll start with it. No, don't wait for the class. Pray today. God, show me what that gift is and show me how I can use it. Too many times we use it as an excuse. We need to go with what we have and trust God. But these verses also show that, that they are to, what they are to expect as they step out into this, as they move forward in this, what they are to expect. They are to expect a mixed reaction. Not everybody is going to receive their message with gladness. And the same is true for us. We need to understand that. That, that as we step out, even in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we follow the direction that he gives to us, Not everybody is going to say, hey, great. We're going to meet with opposition. And need to understand again that we are called to one thing, and that is obedience. And the rest is up to God as to how that all works out. Verse 16, he says, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Now, verse 17 is interesting when we look at this because here we see a change in, in the overall scope of what Jesus is telling them. Because up to this point, again, very specific to a short-term mission that they are going on. Verse 17, as we will see, this changes now to speaking long-term. Things that will happen in the future to prepare them for. Beware of men who will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. That is not going to happen In this short-term trip, it will happen in the future to them. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Not going to happen on this trip, but it's going to happen in the future. And he even told them, you're not going to Gentiles now. Here he's speaking, it will be a testimony to the Gentiles. So here he's speaking future to them. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are able to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Verse 16 has to be interesting to us as we read that, doesn't it? I mean, we look at Jesus' words here. He says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Sheep. We talked about sheep last week. Sheep going out into the midst of wolves is not a good idea in the natural kingdom, right? <laughs> I mean, not much of a chance. Don't have a lot of defense mechanisms as sheep. As a matter of fact, zero. So why would a good shepherd send his sheep into something that naturally we should avoid? Well, because, first of all, he's never, he never leaves us as a good shepherd, but when we understand, I think, again, this is all about the supernatural, not the natural. We look at this and we, say, we see that Jesus, by his very command, is sending us out into a dangerous place. He doesn't sugarcoat this. He, sa- he lays it all out right ahead. The plan from the very beginning is to send us out into a dangerous place. That is his design. And what does he send us out as sheep into the midst of wolves to do? Survive? No. He sends us out to conquer. He sends us us out to be victorious as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, again, you've been around here at all kind of times. I share with you uh, with stuff that goes on in my head a little bit, and sometimes I realize it's kind of scary, but (laughs) I get this picture of like commando sheep. I mean like like special forces sheep. Because we are sent out in a battle. We are to be on the offensive. So many times we can look at our, our faith as a defensive type of thing. No, we are to be on the offensive. When, when Jesus was speaking with his disciples in, in Caesarea Philippi. Having the conversation with them, he asked them, who do do you say that I am? And Peter answered. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, Peter, blessed are you, because that didn't come from you. That didn't come from man. That came from God. Supernaturally, you were given that information. And he said, and on that information, not on Peter, but on that information, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, he said, I will build my church And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Gates are not an offensive weapon. They are a defensive weapon. So Jesus is saying, with that power, with that information, we're going to blow down the gates of hell. We're going to get behind enemy lines, and we're going to rescue the POWs behind enemy lines. And it's going to happen with commando sheep. (laughs) And again, I started thinking through this, in sheep... As sheep, we are the Savior's heavenly empowered extraction personnel. Sheep. All right, first service liked it. (laughs) Guys, people might think that it is foolish as we step out into this endeavor. And from the worldly vision, it is foolish. But God calls us into dangerous situations for his work, by his command. I've heard even other Christians at times when people will say, man, God is calling me to this particular mission field or calling me to go there. And they're like, are you sure? It's dangerous there. Absolutely, I'm sure. It wouldn't be me picking to go there. And guys, let me tell you this. If somebody shares that with you, you absolutely pray with them. And if God calls you somewhere that is dangerous and you think, man, Lord, it's dangerous, there is not a safer place that you can be than in the center of God's will for your life. So if he's calling you there, there's no safer place to be than there. We can, we can again, get it all, get it all out of sorts when we start looking at it from our, with our natural eyes. But this is supernatural stuff he's talking about here. He says, be shrewd as serpents, innocent as doves. Warren Wiersbe said that that means we're to be tough-minded and tender-hearted. We are to expect opposition. Again, we are to expect that the world isn't going to like this as we go out there. The enemy isn't going to like it when we penetrate their their defenses. We can expect opposition, he says, by, by the government brought before governors and kings we can expect opposition from from the quote unquote church be scourged in the synagogues a lot of the quote unquote church has 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 taken sides with the world and so we can expect opposition from them as we go out with the truth as we go out to proclaim the message the only one message expect opposition but in a time of great opposition, is also a time of great opportunity before governors and kings as a testimony to them. We don't face that type of persecution here. It's not illegal for us to do what we're doing here today. It's not illegal for me to stand up here and talk about sin and hell in only one way today. Might be soon. That might be considered reclassified in in our country as, as hate speech. That shouldn't surprise us. Jesus is telling us that this is going to happen. It should grieve our hearts that our country is going in that direction, but it shouldn't surprise us. And if it becomes illegal for us to proclaim the truth, we all better be ready to start a prison ministry. (laughs) Paul did some of his best work from prison. Time of opposition is a time of great opportunity. Guys, seeing the people, he felt compassion. He felt compassion on them. We are to have a heart of compassion for the world around us because they were distressed and dispirited, like a sheep, like sheep without a shepherd. I have a uh, video that I would like to show you as we close up the service this morning. Many of you maybe know, have you heard of the, the magician, comedian pair, Penn and Teller? One of them, the, the, the one that talks all the time, Penn Gillette is his name, is an outspoken atheist. Very, very outspoken of his fact that he, he, he thinks religion is, is, is stupid and that there is no God. He is very outspoken on that. And the video that I want to show you is actually him. He has a little video thing that he does. You can tell it's, it's recording in his home and he, he does this and he'll record certain thoughts that he has and different stuff like that and he puts it out on a YouTube channel. To set it up a little bit, the discussion that we're going to hear him talking about is with a man who had attended the previous night's show and had come up to him the next evening. I want you to hear the words from this from this man. Let's go ahead and roll the, the video.
1: I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. And he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about you know honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. But he said nice stuff, and then he said, "I brought this for you." And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive and he looked me right in the eyes and he was truly complimentary, it wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery, he was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually this guy was a really good guy he was polite and honest and sane and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a
0: bible mm. he cared enough about me that's from a, an atheist one of the, probably again, one of the most out there atheists that there is. And when we, when we look at that, again, that, that question haunts me from somebody who, who said, how much do you have to hate somebody to know that there's eternal life and there's only one way to get there and not tell them about it? Tell me, after watching that, that that is not a distressed dispirited man did you see that did you not just see the holy spirit turning inside of him as he is just trying to figure out what would prompt a man to walk up to me and tell me that did you not see that now i'd love to tell you right now that that this man is now a born again believer he's not as far as i know but i do know one thing a seed was planted the seed was water. Without that, there's no hope. But now there's hope. I mean, there's, there's hope that, 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 that could come to, to harvest. And I like what he said about that. He looked me in the eye. He was confident in the message that he brought. He looked me in the eye. Do you believe in the message that you have? Be confident in it. And then I, I like that he said he wasn't crazy. <laughs> he wasn't insane. He wasn't like, you know, you know, screaming at him. He was talking to him. And you know what jumps out at me at that message? Is he knew that he was loved. The love of Christ came out of that man and in right directly at him. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. And the world needs to hear it. And I will tell you again the world wants to hear it. We have the truth. Let's share that truth in love. Let's pray.